This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. It's Romans 13, 9. We're starting out if you want to find it on your phones or in your Bibles. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat meat, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats meat must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat meat must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then it is for that person it is unclean. If your brother and sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother and sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God, Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Cool, well done, Soph. That's so long, isn't it? That's why I'm glad I decided that the host was going to read. Um, good stuff. Okay, I saw this in the, uh, on the internet, uh, always dangerous. It's headed, onlookers watch in horror as tra- pastor tragically botches welcome. Aspen, Colorado. You hear about stuff like this, but you never think it will happen to you, and no one saw it coming. A visibly shaken member, uh, t- church member told reporters after the service at First Lutheran Church of the Saviour on Sunday morning. The church member, like dozens of other uh, Saviour attendees, expected a warm welcome, a fellowship, and an encouraging work- worship service. What they got instead was a horrifying sight. A Reverend Cecil absolutely mangled his handshake with an unsuspecting visitor. According to witnesses, Reverend Cecil extended his hand for a classic handshake and then suddenly second-guessed himself and decided to attempt the more advanced manoeuvre known as the fist bump. What ensued was several cringe-inducing seconds that shocked visitors, said felt like hours. It was gruesome. Another distressed visitor said a team of of grief counsellors arrived on the scene to assist. There were fingers being grabbed. There was a pathetic attempt to do a side hug. And then the reverend started to make a joke about the whole ordeal. It was absolutely awful. According to leaders at Saviour Lutheran, the church was closed for full, for two weeks as victims tried to recover from the trauma they suffered. It's actually uh, not true. You probably guessed that. <laughs> but... It's from a website called Babylon B, uh, which if you probably shouldn't be wasting your time on it, because you've probably got better things to do, and I think it's even more depressing, not that I looked at it, but actually somebody's actually writing this stuff. But there's all sorts of stuff, it's very, very funny. It's a church satire website, but the reason why it's funny is because it could be true. The, the kind of obsession with with little stuff in church, the obsession with things that aren't really the main thing, or oh, wasn't that embarrassing? Uh, somebody went for a cup of coffee and there wasn't any sugar, you know, or whatever. You know, I remember a long discussion we had in um, in God First Sunday team leaders meeting about forty five minutes on should the kids have cookies? Remember that one? Long and vexed. You know, it was heightened emotions, it was challenging, it was difficult. Should the kids have cookies? You know, and, and it's so easy how we can lose ourselves 
in those in church in those kind of trivial matters. That, that, that church can become all about those small sidebar issues, and, and rather than focus on the big picture, um, as somebody said, uh, we can church is excellent at majoring on the momentary and missing the momentous. We can obsess ourselves like, oh, wasn't that handshake embarrassing? Or, or you didn't shake hands with me. I saw Molly on the way in, and I couldn't remember if I'd greeted her or not for New Year. But I hadn't greeted her for New Year, but I didn't greet her for New Year because I hadn't seen her, but I thought I'd seen her. It was desperately embarrassing. And Molly said to me, you should greet me every week. <laughs> She's right, of course. But, but, you know, we can often always feel clunky around in church and, and we can find those issues can sometimes highlight divisions in the church. They can sometimes highlight issues in the church, uh, and, and what happens in the church in Rome, that there's a, there's a major fault line between ethnic Jews who are Christians and Roman Jews who are Christians. So we've got this church in Rome, I don't know how much bigger it is, maybe not much bigger than this church, but, but the church in Rome has got this kind of fault line between Jews, ethnic Jews, and non-Jews, uh, or Gentiles. And, and this fault line kind of highlights a disagreement and so Paul actually thinks this disagreement is so massive that he spends almost a chapter and a half talking about it. Now we don't really understand why this disagreement was huge but if you dig back into Jewish history you might. There was a in a six, uh, 167 BC, so about maybe just over 200 years since Paul was uh, writing to the Romans, there was a Greek king called Antiochus. He called himself Epiphanes, which means the God manifest. And he decided that, that, that Greek thinking and Greek culture was going to wipe out Jewish culture and Jewish thinking. So what he decided to do was to persecute the Jews. And the, what he, the way he did that to most infuriate them was he put a, set up a temple, uh, an altar to Zeus, the god Zeus, in the temple in Jerusalem, and then slaughtered pigs as sacrifices on it. The Jews were so appalled, and are still, if you find websites, are so appalled, they called it the uh, desolating sacrilege that, that, that Daniel spoke about, or the abomination that causes desolation. This was the worst possible thing that could happen. And, and Antiochus Epiphanes decided to get Jews to uh, break the law of Moses. And he was determined to do that, and so, but he was shocked that Jew after Jew after Jew would rather die than break the law of Moses. Eleazar, a 90-year-old teacher of the law, chosen to be beaten to death than break the law of Moses. A mother with seven sons were all scalped and their hands and feet amputated. They shouted as it was happening, the king of the universe will raise us up to everlasting life because we've died for his laws. In a sense, the king cut out their tongues. There were hundreds and hundreds who were tortured and executed because they refused to eat pork. They, we look at that today and think, really? Really? But yet the, the law of Moses talked in, it talks about Leviticus and Deuteronomy not to eat certain things. And for the Jews, the, those food laws and, and meeting on a Saturday, the Sabbath, were absolutely the things that marked them out. So we get in the New Testament, Peter who obviously a disciple of Jesus, Jesus has died, rose from the dead, uh, and Peter's kind of uh, leading the early church. He gets a vision of a sheet that comes down from heaven full of all these animals that he's forbidden to eat in the Old Testament. And, and, and the vo- here's Jesus' voice say, Peter, get up and eat. 
wake up and eat. And he says, no way. No way, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure impure or unclean. I'm not going to do it. And the sheep goes back into heaven. Three times it happens. Three times it happens and three times he says, I'm not going to eat. And then there's a knock at the door. And he sent for him and a Roman centurion called Cornelius comes to the door and says, I'm looking to find out about Jesus. And Peter's thinking, he's a Roman centurion, he's a Gentile, he's nothing to do with me, but should I go? And then he connects the vision, oh, I'm supposed to reach out to, to those that I consider unclean. And he goes and meets with him, preaches the gospel, Holy Spirit falls, and the Gentiles are the first Gentiles become Christians. And even, but this, this didn't mean that they suddenly put away the food laws. So when there was a big council in Jerusalem, in, in the Council of Jerusalem that was written about in Acts 15, the council says this. Avoid sexual immorality and eating those things that you shouldn't eat. Now we probably would say, in our kind of uh, putting of sins, we'd say sexual immorality, well that's pretty close to the ceiling in terms of high score bad sins. Eating pork, well it's pretty low score isn't it? But you have to understand for the Jews they saw it the same. They saw it the same. And Paul's addressing this when he says in chapter 14, once person's faith allows them to eat meat, but another's faith is weak and eats only vegetables. The one who eats meat should must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat meat must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. I was going to have a big, long debate about food and vegetarianism, and I thought, no, this is not going to work. So I'm not going to do that, but we need to understand how important it was. Christian Jews, who believed that eating pork was a sin, were being asked to worship along Gentile, uh, Gentile Christians who loved a bacon sandwich. And, and, they, and they, were, they were saying, well, how does this work? How can we be together in the same church? So this little church in Rome is in danger of having a big split. Paul himself, a Jew, however, is happy for Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians, to, to eat pork. What's going on here? Is he losing the plot? And yet, at the same time, he's happy for Jewish Christians to keep their food laws. But it's massive. What he's doing is massive. Paul is saying following Christ is not essentially a Jewish movement that you need to keep the Jewish rules or the Old Testament laws. He's saying, no, following Christ has transcended the Jewish rules and laws. And everybody can do it. Now, you might not think that's a big deal, but it's huge. The fact that we don't dress in a particular Jewish kind of way the fact that we don't eat particular things, that is, is partly down to the fact that Paul saw the gospel as not about the rules. It's not about the culture and the tradition. It's not about that. It's about faith in Jesus. And he's saying, that's the main thing. So he's, he's saying, belonging to Jesus and the unity of believers is more important than food or your traditions. And, and so, I'm not going to pick it through it verse by verse, but the big sweep of it basically saying, well, what should we do with that? The Paul's teaching is saying, you can keep your traditions, but they're not the main thing, and don't impose them on somebody else. Don't point the finger at somebody else. He, he says this, let me just read it. Paul pleads for unity. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? That word means somebody obviously in the same family. He's saying to people who are arguing about this, why do you judge your brother and sister? 
Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, as it's written. Surely, as I live, said the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give account to ourselves to God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother and sister. It's interesting, actually, we think, well, that's not an issue for us, so I'm already switching off. But actually, we can do it. We can easily have our little traditions and our little ways that exclude people. We can have those things that we think are spiritual that you should do and those things that are unspiritual that you shouldn't do. I remember when we were starting the church, uh, planting the church in Manchester, and I didn't used to wear a, even a collar. I know you might think I'm scruffy this morning, but this is a vast improvement. I'd come up in my kind of T-shirt, and this guy came up to me afterwards in a suit and tie, and said to me, you know, how can you not wear a suit and tie? Why don't you wear a suit and tie? It's not honouring to God to wear, to preach without a suit and tie. And he said, I can't be in your church. And, and you think, well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? But people have got their traditions and people have got their ways of doing things that looks spiritual or doesn't look spiritual. I remember when I was a kid, if you drank alcohol, that was a no-no. We went to a Methodist church and, and you know, most, they spent more time trying to persuade me as a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid not to drink alcohol than telling me about Jesus. And I even did. I succumbed and signed the pledge. Never to drink alcohol. That didn't last very long, did it? <laughs> so it's something. So is getting drunk a good thing? No. But what happens is that, that a sidebar becomes the main thing. Sidebars become the main thing. People are worried about the, the sidebars. So, so I can, in the 17th century, churches used to argue about and were split over should you wear a wedding ring or not? Now, I know these days I get in trouble. I can't stand. I'm a struggle with a watch. I take it off as soon as I've finished. And so I don't wear a wedding ring, and I get grief for that. And people say, why don't you wear a wedding ring? You know, you're not married. It's not important to you. But the Puritans say, no, 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 you don't wear a wedding ring. And they churches split over that. Churches split over Christmas. 17th century, some churches said to, to celebrate Christmas as a pagan festival, you shouldn't do that. And some say, hey, what does it matter? And churches split over that. Churches split over all sorts of crazy stuff. So I can remember uh, that if you wore makeup, when I was growing up in church, that was seen as you were a a hussy. (laughs) You know, how dare you? And, And people would make comments about what you wear. You need to dress sensibly and appropriately. And wearing makeup, you really got it wrong. You know, what's the matter with you? I remember if you came into the church building, they'd say, you need to be quiet. Because this is the house of the Lord. And what happens is, the point I'm making is, churches can get totally hung up on trivial stuff. The thing is, when you're onto something, you don't think it's trivial. If you're dying for it 200 years ago, you don't think eating pork is a trivial issue or not. But actually, sometimes we just get these things and we think it's massive. So, so should, we, should, should we just never, never disagree? No, I don't think Paul's saying don't disagree, but he's saying don't judge each other when you disagree. In fact, sometimes it's good to disagree because what can, what can happen with churches is churches get traditions 
And those traditions nullify the word of God. Jesus even said that about the Jews. You nullify the word of God with your traditions. And actually churches can get traditions that get a long way from the Bible. So what happens with that? Well, it's 500 years ago since Martin Luther um, decided that the Catholic Church had gone a long way from the Bible. And, you know, that, and that actually salvation wasn't through uh, doing a penance or paying some money or, or crawling on your knees to Rome or kissing a statue or whatever. It wasn't about those kind of things. It, was, it wasn't about what the church said. It was about what the Bible said. And so the church split. And I'm in one sense, I'm pleased about that. But you can just go on splitting and splitting, can't you? You can say, okay, well, you've got the Church of England, so, and then you say, well, we'll let's split that one again. So we'll have the Methodists in the Church of England, and then we'll split that again. We'll have the Baptists who believe plunging people, and, and then we'll have the Church of England who, di- who, splash, who splash kids. And then we'll split again. And then we'll have the Pentecostals say, well, we believe in speaking in tongues, and we'll split from those that don't. And then we'll split again, and we'll split again. Well, we don't believe in speaking in tongues is the first sign that you're, that you're baptized in the Spirit, but, but we believe this is, and we'll split again, and we'll split again. Now, is that a bad thing or a good thing? It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, but, but I think that Paul is saying here it's a bad thing. In fact, the Archbishop of Canterbury got in trouble, the Justin Wellaby, got into trouble this week for apologising for the Reformation. Saying it shouldn't, it split the church and that was a bad thing. Now, what happens is people have funny ideas and they think they're the most important thing. I remember a church I went to in London. There was this uh, a lady who was passionate about what you might call the prosperity gospel. Health and wealth and prosperity. And she'd go around and she'd, she'd talk about it all the time. If you got a moment with her, it'd be there. She'd be on it. She'd be on her little hobby horse about health and wealth and prosperity. And she'd be kind of going round and going round talking about this. And as if this became the main thing. If you look at, I don't know, does anybody ever go on, on kind of Christ, religious TV channels? You don't have to put your hand up, I'm just interested. I mean, okay, there is some good stuff there, but there's a lot of rubbish there. You know, you flick through, four channels are about, if you send a, a dollar or two dollars or ten dollars, you're going to be rich. Then there's two channels about, you know, um, you're going to just... Pray for this hanky and send it off and you get healed. And then there's three channels about you should, we should all be going back to Israel and becoming, wearing, and, then, and you think, what is it about? I mean, where's the channel about Jesus and the gospel, please? Do you understand what I'm saying? And we focus on all these things and Paul's saying, guys, what's matter? You're focusing on all these petty divisions. Paul is writing the, the letter from the Roman, uh, to the Romans from Corinth. The church in Corinth was massive about divisions. It had divisions about rich and poor. So they'd break bread, and the way it worked in the church in Corinth is the rich people would have a feast. They'd be in their big house having a feast, and the poor people would be in the kind of courtyard having scraps. I said, Paul says, what, what, what's that all about? Now, we might say, we don't do that. We've all, got, we've all gone gluten-free today. Now, I'm, I'm concerned it's got seeds. So if you don't like seeds, but you're gluten-free, you're not, it's complicated, isn't it, food? You know, we've got issues with food, you know, around food. But, but I'm sorry, it's, it's seeded. So if you like gluten-free, that's great. You can share the one bread with us. But if you like, don't like seeded, I'm sorry. 
Sorry, where did that come from? So Paul's got these divisions about breaking bread. But they've also got these divisions where one person's standing up in the church and bringing these prophecies, and everyone goes, wow, you're really spiritual. But they're treating other people who make the tea and coffee and saying, well, you're not spiritual at all. One saying, I follow this guy called Paul, and I follow this guy called Apollos, and I like this guy, and I'm in new wine, and I'm in advance, and I'm in this, and I'm in this, and I go to the world of life. And we, and don't we do that? Just divisions all the time. And Paul says this, he says, I resolved to know nothing amongst you while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This section of Romans is saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not define our church by all the other things that we're not. So it's funny, actually. I remember going uh, and being asked to preach. I might have said this before. I was asked to preach at a church in, in Manchester. And the, and the, the preacher, it was, it was a Baptist church. The guy was a great-hearted guy. And in a sort of moment when he brought me up to, to preach, he said, we've brought the opposition this morning. I was like, what? Oh, I'm the opposition. Oh, because basically what it is, is it's a game where churches fight each other. There's a certain number of people that go to churches and they all exercise well, we'll have a few from you and you can have a few from us and we'll just fight each other. So I said, so I stood up and I said, I'm not the opposition. I said, sin is the opposition. Immorality is the opposition. Greed, violence, pride, that's the opposition. I'm not the opposition. We're on the same team. So I love the fact that, that I've got a few guys that in church that the few mates in Cheltenham that are church leaders that I get on well with. I get, a great, I get on really well with Roger Whittacombe, Anglican Church. Does a few things differently, does lots of things the same, but we're on the same team. I meet with John from Grace Church. We, they, we did a partner with us. We're on the same team. But what's happening in this church in Rome is they're all saying, you're not on my team, you're not on my team, you don't do that. So one person lifts their hand in worship and thinks, well, I'm spiritual in one church. In another church, you think, you're a nutcase. I remember when I was in the Methodist church, if you wanted to put your hand up, and, like when you were worshipping, you, man, you were radical subversive. I know some churches, if you don't put your hands in worship, they say, what's the matter with you? Don't you speak in tongues? What's your problem? And Paul says, whoa, 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 time out, time out. So the kingdom of God is not about little things, eating and drinking. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If anyone serves Christ in this way, they're pleasing God. Therefore, let's do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Don't blow the church up for the sake of food. Churches get blown up for stupid reasons. People get cross for stupid reasons. People leave churches for stupid reasons. Sometimes they leave for good reasons. But people leave churches for all sorts of small reasons. If you've been, if you're a Christian, and you go to church, and you've never been hurt or offended by a Christian, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. You know, I'd love to talk to you after and say, well, what church have you been? Because if you've been in this church, I've probably offended you. I mean, Molly's, me and Molly are busted now. <laughs> Somebody's going to offend you. You know, you, you, you're going to have this thought, oh, what's going on? Paul wrote, I think Paul, the way Paul starts this little argument is quite helpful. He says... He starts in, thir- uh, the reading was long, but it starts in 13.9, which is where the section starts, I think. It says, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Now, if you're Jews there, sitting and listening to that, when you hear love your neighbour as yourself, 
What story are you thinking about? Love your neighbours yourself. Jesus told a story. The Good Samaritan. Okay, the Good Samaritan. What happens in that story is a guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, being very clever, says, well, you answer your own question, please. And he says, what's written in the law and what's your interpretation? And the teacher says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your uh, strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you'll live. What happens next is the teacher of the law feels under pressure and says, aha, but who is my neighbour? Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I think when Jesus, when, when Paul writes, love your neighbour, I think that story, probably not written down by then, would, was resonating around. They would have heard it. They would have heard the stories of Jesus, passed around orally, about how the Samaritan, a foreigner, who didn't keep God's laws, actually did what the laws required. And the, the priest and the Levite were worried about breaking God's laws, just let the foreigner just die. And then Paul says, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now when he first believed. The night is almost over, so clothe yourself with Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, when you hear about the present evil age, it sounds a bit like Paul saying, don't you understand that the end of the world is nigh? And it's nearer now than it was before. I don't think Paul's gone on these kind of websites Well, the planets are aligned, the great tribulation is about to begin, Trump and, or Putin or whoever is the Antichrist, the European Union is the beast, You know, if you've got a credit card, then you've got the number of the beast on you. The temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Aleppo is the site of Armageddon and Jesus is coming back next week. Don't you read those websites? No, good, well done. (laughs) Paul's saying, no, 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 we've got to understand the times we're in. Not, oh, Jesus is coming back next week, so look busy. You know, if you've watched Johnny um, English... Jesus is coming back, look busy. Uh, No, it's not saying Jesus is coming back, look busy. It's saying to understand the time we're in. We're in this time of this present evil age of darkness and sin. And a new age is coming. And a new age is coming. We live in that between the times period. The world is dark, so don't get involved in the things of darkness. But a new time is coming. When Jesus, uh, Jesus rose from the dead, he said a new age has come. The days of the old evil age of sin and suffering and death are numbered and the new age marked by salvation and healings and the outpoured spirit is is coming. And Paul's saying, let's get real. Let me summarise it this way. Wake up church, stop obsessing about dot, 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 dot because there's a lost world to win for Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's a lost world to win for Jesus. Don't worry about these small things and these little things that annoy you. There's a world to win for Jesus. So I'm upset because I'm not on the worship rotor. No, too small. The world to win for Jesus. I'm going to waste my time, as Paul says, in sexual immorality. Stupid. There's a world coming. The old world is going. There's a new world coming. Live like that. Live that priority. You know, my gift for tea and coffee making is not being recognised and I'm leaving the church. He's saying, no, there's a world that's winning for Jesus. And you know what churches do? I, I'm, I'm moaning about your church because I couldn't get a parking space. If I, you know, I drove around for 10 minutes, couldn't get a parking space, went home. 
the preacher, I came down the stairs and somebody said, would you sit over the far side and near the front? I went, how dare they? How dare they tell me where to sit? You know, I, what is the matter with this church? The preacher goes on too long. I'm really not happy. You know, I don't like the songs. I don't like Flick's dress. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. It just came. <laughs> I, I, I do like your dress. But, you know, maybe somebody. <laughs> what are we like? Oh, dear. If you've never been hurt in church. <laughs> I'm leaving now. He mentioned my dress. And I'm leaving. There must be a church down the road that appreciates my dress. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. What are we like? What are we like? The world this age is passing and we're fighting about should we eat bacon sandwiches? Put off orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and debauchery. And all the Jews are going, yeah, that's what those Romans that have joined this church, what they're like. And then it says, and put off dissension and jealousy. Bang, they're nailed for their finger pointing, their self-righteous, judgmental attitudes. It's funny, my um, kids were back from uni and... Uh, there's definitely a preponderance. My two boys were definitely back from uni and Demaris is on holiday, so I'll get them all. There's a preponderance for the pyjama day. Hands up if you've had a pyjama day over the holidays, yeah? I mean, it's okay. You know, you don't, you'd have to feel bad. Uh, you know, I've got good pyjamas. In fact, I saw on... I was listening to the radio and a Tesco's in Newport has banned women from going to the shop in their pyjamas. It's just not right. It's just not seemly. You don't go to the shop in your pyjamas. Because you know what? Pyjamas say, you're not really organised for the day. You're not really acceptable for the day. You're really dossing around for the day. You're just going to watch the whole of Lord of the Rings today. And that's what's going to be happening today. And, and I think, I thought about this and I thought, when Paul's saying, wake up, I think he's saying, church, pyjama day. It's not pyjama day. Worrying about stupid things. You can do the same. You're focusing on stupid things. The church is not to be characterised by endless grumbles or endless debates about theology. Theology does matter, but it's not about let's have a big row about this theology thing or that theology thing. We'll load up social media with our views. No. It's not that theology doesn't matter, but it's not what the church is about primarily arguing about sidebar issues of theology. Let's agree it's about Christ and him crucified and telling the world about that and living in community as disciples. If, 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 we, if, we, if we get our theology from the internet and God TV, we, we're going to be, the, the communities are always going to be falling out. God first community is going to be spending their time arguing about silly stuff. Disciples, as Paul says, will be in, in Ephesians will be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. If we're watching, if we're reading this wacky paperback and going round and telling everybody this is the thing that we need to be doing now as a church, and we're not reading our Bible, we're going to get into all sorts of stupid stuff. And mission, winning this world, and making disciples will be lost in debates and judging people and saying, "Oh, you're not into that." I remember one time the most kind of outside I felt was in what was called the Toronto Blessing. If you weren't around, don't worry. But basically what happened was people were praying for people and people were falling on the floor. 
Now what happened is I got prayed for and I didn't fall on the floor. And then what they did is they said, right, can all those people, and they read out a list of names, on, imagine we're doing this, they read out a list of names of all those people that the leaders had observed had been prayed for and fell on the floor, and they said, could you come into this room afterwards? And I was left here like, I hadn't fallen on the floor. You know, how did I feel? And, and I thought, I feel rubbish because I've fallen on the floor. So next time, I'm thinking, should I fall on the floor? Am I feeling like falling on the floor? Oh, yes, maybe I am feeling like falling on the floor. Oh, is he pushing me over? No, he's not pushing me over. Oh, 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 you know, but, but if I fall on the floor, I feel spiritual. But if I don't fall on the floor, I might feel... I, yeah, have you ever been there? Some of you might get that. We can chase around for sidebars issues. It was great. I heard a guy said, it's not whether you go fall on the floor or whether, you get, or, or whether you don't fall on the floor. It's what you like when you get up. It's what you like when you walk out here on a Monday morning. There's people in churches falling on the floor, and I'm not against falling on the floor, by the way. And I have fallen on the floor. In fact, I did it at Trinity one time, when I went to Trinity. I don't know whether that was approved of or disapproved of. I really was struggling. In fact, I was making a noise like I was giving birth, and I think that was really disapproved of. (laughs) And Tim Grew said to me, "Mm, the Spirit of God is on you. And I thought, is he? Isn't he? Isn't he? Is he? I just was going with the flow. Oh, was I going with the flow? I don't know if I was going with the flow. I'm a spiritual unspiritual. I don't know. Quick, stop! Paul pulls it together and says, look, come on, what we're about, I'll finish in here. What are we about, guys? It says chapter in chapter 15. It says, we're not about pleasing ourselves. Jesus is not a consumer. Christ did not please himself. He's not a consumer. He didn't come to, to, the, to the church or the synagogue at the time and say, well, I'd like this kind of music played this kind of way on this kind of instrument and this kind of thing. Jesus didn't come to the church and say, I'm going to be a consumer. I'd like it this way, please. Can we have frothy coffee? What, you just give instant? Oh dear, really, I'm not so happy about this church. You know, Paul, he didn't come like that. He said he came not to please himself. He came who to do? To please God. That's what Paul has said. He's wanted to live holy and, holy and lives pleasing to God. He's trying to please God. He's not trying to please himself. There's a different agenda. Who are we trying to please here? What we're trying to do here is not create a, a church where people come and say, oh, this is nice, this suits my, this suits my, my bandwidth. They do what I do, all oh, the worship songs, I'd like a little bit more of that. Let the sound of that. No. Jesus came and it said he, he, he was insulted. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul brings the church in Rome back to Jesus. No consumer mentality here. Not ticking every sidebar issue, tossed around by every wind of teaching. You are going to be insulted and hurt. But where that insulting and hurt should happen, where should it happen? Not in here. It might happen in here. But you should be insulted and hurt out there. Because you live such a good life among the pagans, as we said last week, that though they accuse you and insult you of doing wrong, there's going to be something that says, whoa, there's something about you. It was really nice to have... um, uh, somebody come to 321. And, and clearly she'd not really thought about Christianity at all. So I'm thinking, why are you on 321? But I realised that she'd observed the, the life of this particular couple in church and it had raised a whole load of questions. And I think that's, that's our focus, that's our emphasis, that we live such good lives out there that we might get hostile reactions. We might get difficult moments. We might get pushback. As I said last week, it's always going to be awkward and clunky to tell people about Jesus. 
But you shouldn't be harboring these insults from the church. You know, I, I can play that. You think, oh, it's all right for you, you get it to preach here every week, and I'd love to do that. But I go to meetings and feel, why did they ignore me? Why didn't they recognize my gifting? Surely they should know how amazing I am. And, 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 you, and I think, well, it's how stupid. If I'm going to be upset, let me be upset that the world is a mess. Let me be upset that my work colleagues don't care, for about, care about Jesus. Let me be upset about that. What am I like? No. That if I'm going to be insulted, if I'm going to, if I'm going to feel pressure, it shouldn't be because, because I've, I've got upset by the church and the church are pointing their finger at me. It should be because, because I've identified with Jesus who was wrongly judged and marginalized. Jesus was mocked and beaten and cru- crucified. Let our hearts hurts be not about the sense of rejection from the church, but about actually we've been rejected from the world. Paul's great desire is to find their sense of unity. And what he says is he talks about broken bread, doesn't he? And I love it in the Anglican service, they say, what do they say? Though we are many, one body because we all share the one bread. Food can be awfully divisive. I like this food, I like that food, I like that, I don't like that, I eat too much, I don't eat too much. We've got complex relationships with food. But food is where we declared independence from God, right at the beginning. And food here is where we, we declare dependence on God. Unity is around a meal. Jesus says, if you're one of my followers, then come and eat with me. Come and have this meal with me. Let's have a meal together. Those you eat with are those you care about. And Jesus' body was broken and he said, this is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you. Paul finishes, he says, it matters. We want to be uh, with one voice and one mind glorifying God. If the church is a worshipping church, not they just have a great band, but they're, for they're a worshipping church, if they live a life of worship, that is how, what we should do. We shouldn't be arguing about bacon sandwiches. We should be a worshipping church. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order that you may bring peace to God. That shouldn't be about accepting each other in church. It should be actually people from all sorts of diverse backgrounds coming to this church and we don't go, you you can't come in here like that. Oh, you do that, sorry, you're not allowed. Now there is a place for lives to be changed, but actually the church should be open. Jesus prays this though. Right at the end, let's finish with this. Jesus prays this on the, on the night he was crucified. He said, let them, talking about those that believe in his name, let them be, let's read it actually. Let them be one. As we are one, the Father and the Spirit are one. I in them and you in me. So that may be, then the world will know you sent me. And love them even as you love me. Churches that fall out and fight do not win the world. They don't even win the arguments. I don't think we've had many fights and fallen outs in this church. I hope we don't have fights and fallen outs. But let's not get caught into sidebar issues. Let's say we're here, the world, this present evil age is is coming to an end. That means there's going to be a judgment. He's saying don't judge other people because God's going to bring judgment. There is going to be a judgment. We should be busy about seeing a lost world saved. We've wasted far too much time on stuff that don't really matter. Let's focus on Jesus.
For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.